How's it going, everyone? Today we have Major General Wills, the 19th Air Force Commander in AETC, with us, as well as Cheetah and Blast from the 41st. Uh, how's it going, sir? It's going great. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming by. Um, so today, I kind of just wanted to bend your ear a little bit about uh, your experience in the Air Force, experience as a 19th Air Force Commander, and uh, experience as a pilot as well, if that works with you. I love it. Perfect. All right, so uh, kind of just diving straight in. Um, you were the group commander at Laughlin, and then you stepped away from ATC for a little while, and now you're back as the 19th Air Force Commander. What are kind of, uh, what are some of the bigger changes that you've seen? What also hasn't changed, and where do you kind of see the Air Force going, or at least UPT going in the future a little bit? Great question. So um, let me just start by saying I was a, a prior WISO. So I started off as a navigator student at Mather Air Force Base in 1992. And then, um, excuse me, 91 is when I started. Graduated in 92, and then I went to pilot training at Shepard. And then my next interaction with pilot training was when I went back to Laughlin to be the group commander. And what was really remarkable, remarkable about that was how little changed between my time as a navigator student and my time as the ops group <laughs> commander. So we had a new airplane. We had the mighty T6A Texan II, excellent airplane. But the um, when I checked into Mather, I got a poster of a tweet cockpit that I put on my wall. And when I checked into Shepard in 1995, I got a uh, poster of a tweet cockpit, same poster, all black and white, no color. Mm -hmm. And when I checked into Pitt in 2009 at Randolph, I got a poster of a T6 cockpit. And the big deal was that the HSI and the ADI were in color. It's huge. Wow. <laughs> I mean, wow. Yeah. That was amazing. And Impressive. so uh, that was striking. And when you look at the way that our pilot training system is set up, there, you can look at it two ways, and lots of people look at them in exactly these two ways. Some people say it's the best pilot training system in the world, so we shouldn't monkey with it. And then some people say it's probably not reasonable that the basic framework hasn't changed in 60 years. When I, was on, when I first got to Randolph this time, I checked into my nice DV quarters, and there was a little history of Randolph Field. And I was reading it, and it talked about the two airplanes that we did pilot training in back at Randolph. Mm -hmm. And it struck me that the reason we probably did two airplane pilot training most of this time is because that's the way we've always done it. Mm -hmm. Now, what's really cool about what's going on right now is that we're reexamining old assumptions, and we're totally challenging the paradigm, which is really cool. And that's part of what you guys are doing right here at Columbus, the, you know, between the Spark Cell, this podcast, between what Pilot Training Next has done and is doing and some other efforts, it's cool because we're challenging the way we think about it. Now, historically, when you challenge uh, the current paradigm, you generate a lot of uh, friction and a lot of, uh, I won't call them enemies because we don't have any enemies, uh, but we do have some folks who think that they, uh, when they wake up in the morning, you know, when you look in the mirror, most of us, you know, you put on your uniform, you check to make your squared away, and there's an image, there's a way you see yourself. And for most of us, it's, hey, you know, I'm a warrior, I'm an airman, I'm a pilot, whatever it may be, but hopefully it starts with, I'm an Air Force officer. That would be my, uh, my pitch to your audience. And if you're an NCO or an airman, it should start with that. But there are some people that the next thing they think of is, I'm gonna grab my flaming sword and I'm gonna protect pilot training from those yahoos down the road that are trying to change all this stuff. <laughs> yeah, pilot. And so they're great Americans. And the, the cool thing is that they're passionate, which is truly cool. And they raise a lot of good points, mm -hmm. but, um, we're on, a, we're on a really good road with respect to challenging the paradigm. Now the hard part is what I'm working on is how do you take the cool stuff and harvest it and turn it into something useful because you, can't, you cannot do pilot training next currently on the scale of what you guys are doing at Columbus 
in advance and at Laughlin and Shepard. It doesn't work. There's a difference between a handmade Italian leather shoe and the Henry Ford factory, all right? And I'm the Henry Ford dude right. in this equation. I've got to, I've got to make about 1,300 of you guys a year, and really we need to make about 1,480 pilots per year. And so right now it's not very easy for me to do that the same way they're doing it at PTN. Yeah. So um, we're, uh, I guess, what are some of the things kind of looking forward that you see would be, would be positive, positive impacts uh, that have been made or that you intend to kind of carry out during your course at, at 19th or, or avenues that you'd like to explore? And then maybe, maybe what are some of the things that you're like, I think we actually have been doing this right for quite some time now. Yeah. Great question, Cheetah. And, and for the listeners, you should know that Cheetah was my IP uh, before he, he ran away in, in fear, uh, for at least for the very beginning of my T6 checkout. So when I first got here in the summer, you know, General Quast is, was just an amazing leader from the perspective of recognizing the need for change. And so metaphorically, he essentially just blew up, you know, the whole system. Just, you know... And the way you can do that is you can take a lieutenant colonel and give him millions of dollars and tell him to run crazy. Mm-hmm. And you got to remove him from the chain of command. You can't you can't let him work for the 19th Air Force commander because I have you know I'm a production oriented dude. And and all of you have read the books on innovation. These things work best when you isolate them from the current system. Mm-hmm. So you know huge explosion in the way we look at it, which is really cool. So the upshot of that is that we learned. I would say. What we've learned is still to be determined because PTN still has some work to do on publishing the results of their experiment. Mm-hmm. But after snooping around and talking to Cheetah and talking to the gang at Debt24 for a couple of weeks, what I basically came up with is I think there's four, four lessons from Pilot Training Next that are immediately applicable to the, to the rest of the UPT enterprise. And first and foremost is quality instruction at an acceptable student ratio. I mean, first and foremost, and we, we probably didn't need PTN to remind us of this, but without a quality instructor uh, core, you've got nothing, mm-hmm. really. And, um, you know, period, dot, period is how that goes. So let me tell you, one of the things we're doing is we're standing up something called the AATC Master Instructor Program. There is already a Master Instructor Program, but we're bringing it to the flight line. And so the team at the 12th Line Training Wing is leading the charge, and we're going to basically build a three-week course to take uh, already highly qualified instructors and we're gonna make them better. It's loosely modeled after the weapons school, but we're not bringing the weapons school to ATC primarily because uh, of the time and the resources it would take. It doesn't make sense. But it does make sense that, you know, I have more instructor pilots in 19th Air Force than anybody else in the Air Force does. So it doesn't make any sense that we don't have a deliberate instructor development program for those folks that's as rigorous and refined as what we have at the weapons school. So we're gonna partner with the weapons school. We're gonna build a really great program. It's gonna take a little bit of time, but that's the alpha and the omega of this command is quality instruction. And I don't, that, whether you're a CISO instructor, whether you're R, you know, RPAs, you name it, without instruction, ATC's uh, in trouble. So that was the first lesson. Uh, the second thing is access to content. You know, now you get into a really interesting debate about this. Going into the Wayback Machine here, when I showed up, if you want to know how it used to be, um, before I was an old man that sits on the porch and throws beer cans at the kids, um, here's how it was. I rolled into Mather Air Force Base in Sacramento, California in March of 1991, and the first thing I did was I said, hey, can I get my books, and can I get my stuff, because I want to get started, because I wanted to have, you know, I wanted to do really well in the program. And they said, you can't have your books. And I was like, well, why not? 
well, we don't want anybody to have an advantage. Right. Okay. Right. So I said, well, can I get my boots? You know, we used to wear boots with black leather. Yeah. And boot shine used to be a thing. Now, a lot of you young people may not understand this, but there was a requirement at one point to shine your boots. And actually, lest you think we are, uh, you know, heretics, everybody agreed that that was kind of a good thing. All right. Mm -hmm. Shiny boots were just fine. They wouldn't even give you my, my boots because they were afraid I'd have a better shine on it than the next dude on day one, and that would give me an advantage in oh, like, flight commander ranking. So think how crazy that is. It makes no sense. So along comes PTN, and one of the things that they've discovered is, and I think this was also, you know, there are other people involved in this, but this idea that, hey, today's learner, you know, young people learn differently. From the very young age, people have been YouTubing things, and they, they search out different uh, sources of information. They compare different sources of information. That's a core skill for young people today. Mm. It's a survival skill. So uh, enabling uh, greater access to content is another uh, key lesson. I will tell you that there's a lot to be thought about on this front because, you know, if you really think about it, there's probably a point where there, there might be too much of that. But we haven't figured out what that is. For example, do I really need a T6 VR simulator in every uh, preschool in the country? You know, at what point does this get ridiculous? Does every JROTC student need um, an immersive training device so that every ROTC graduate can fly the T6 before they finish high school? Well, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. I mean, as this pilot training system evolves, it may be one of those deals where 15 years from now, the expectation when you show up at pilot training might be that you already know how to fly a T6. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to give you a one-week or a two-week check ride in that yeah. thing to see if you really learned anything, and then we're going to move you on to the T7 or whatever the, the next big thing yeah. is. So it's really kind of a cool time if you think about the logical lim limit of it. Mm -hmm. Now, in the short term, where it really makes sense is, hey, let's unlock some of these artificial barriers so that the people who can accelerate uh, their learning have access to be able to do that. So access to content is pretty important. Uh, the third thing um, was the uh, use of technology. Now, a lot of people want to call the ITDs advanced technology, but let's face it, that's not advanced to anybody except the U.S. Air Force right now, right? I mean, there's lots more coming, and that's one of the cool things about PTN is as they start to knock on the door of things like data collection and artificial intelligence and all of those things, you know, we have a partnership, um, Columbus is part of it too, where, um, you know, uh, Flight Safety International is working with IBM's Watson uh, to gather data and start thinking about it. I think it's completely realistic to believe that 10 or 15 years down the road, if not sooner, I mean, in a couple of years, probably the technology will be ready to do it. But it's not inconceivable to me at all that 15 years from now, you're going to get a big chunk of your instruction from Watson or from some other kind of AI. I'm not, in, I'm not endorsing the IBM company. Here. <laughs> full disclosure. But, uh, full disclosure. <laughs> yeah. But you see, I, th I think that's pretty cool. So use of uh, uh, technology. And then the final one that I took as one of the big four lessons was student-centered learning, You know, which, again, wasn't my term. That's just I went around and I, I looked around. I said, that has some merit. I will tell you that this isn't exactly revolutionary. If you look at, um, in my experience in the fighter world, we all when I was an instructor Wizzo, I was an instructor pilot. I was, in, you know, it was always about the students learning. It always was. The difference in AETC is that because we mass produce, we haven't always. Um, and in fact, I would argue that it's always about the student in the AETC as well. The difference was we haven't really empowered the student as much as I think the, the trend is right now. We didn't used to spend a whole lot of time allowing the student to drive the direction of a particular sortie. There was a little bit of that, and you probably hopefully are already doing this, which is, hey, what do you want to work on today, Blast? What, you know, what were your weak areas in the last ride? How can we do that? 
But I think PTN has shown that you can take that to a slightly different uh, level. The basic assumption they're making at PTN is that you have motivated learners and who are aggressive learners and that they're gonna drive in the correct directions. Time will tell on that. I think that's probably true of the PTN cohort, the folks that are in that. I don't know that that's necessarily true of every class I ever taught uh, in my career. (laughs) But that's something we need to look at. So those are, in my mind, kind of the big four lessons out of mm-hmm. PTN that are harvest, that are ready to be harvested right now. So where does that leave us? Um, I arrived, everybody said, hey Pulse, you really ought to check this out. There's really cool stuff going on there. I went to a briefing with the Chief of the Staff of the Air Force about four or five days after I got here. Pilot Training Next came in there. If you, I don't know if you've been in their facility, I know you have, but they've got like this neon lighting and there's this thing on the floor <laughs> that these spotlights come in. It's really a little weird. Yeah. <laughs> And, then, and I'm always like, well, what's that thing for? And they won't tell you, but it's really because they, like, they saw it on late night television. It looked cool. I don't know what it's going to see on TV. And then the chief's standing there, and there's this blue glow. And then, yes. and then the PTN guys are like, and then we trained everybody 12 times as fast. It costs like 50 bucks, and uh, we should do it right now. And I'm like, wow, I don't know if that's... Uh, no, I'm exaggerating. <laughs> Where's the fog machine? Yeah, the fog, yeah, fog machine. machine. Fog machine. Cool music. Lasers. Um, it's awesome. It's BTN lasers. Everybody's holding up their phones. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. Swaying to yeah. music. Mm-hmm. And then um, afterward, everybody said, you know, there's there's probably some goodness here. And so they, uh, you know, they looked to me as the 19th Air Force commander to figure out how to make it happen. So the key elements that we'll try to get in there, and, and as you guys know better than I do, it's more than just how do you train the T6 students, right? It's how do you get the, the learning Wi-Fi installed? It's how does the MDIT work? You know, how does the technology talk to, how do the data talk to each other? Right now, we collect a lot of data already in UPT, you can access almost none of it. It's insane. It's, you wouldn't believe how, it's just a constant uh, source of frustration for me that I can't access the data to help me understand things like UPT throughput, capacity, stress on the system, et cetera. Mm-hmm. We'll see how it goes. Then. The AETC A58, and that's plans, programs, and requirements, the strategy guys, they're working on the, how would it look in the year 2030 and beyond? How much will we use AI? How much of uh, this is going to be different? And if you think about our facilities, our infrastructure, everything that we have is based on an old paradigm. Most of that's probably still good for something, but it may not be good exactly as we have it today for everything. So that's the... Um, that's kind of how I'm looking at the future. Now you asked me what's still good about, you know, what are the things that are tried and true? Um, I think in the big picture, the system is actually pretty sound. There's a reason everybody wants to train with us. So it's not that we're, it's not that we're not training great graduates. Some of the things that make the system excellent is that there is pressure in the system. And for the students that are listening, I'm not sorry for the stress you're gonna be under. (laughs) I'm counting on it because I'm going to put um, my family on the airplane with you. You're going to be my co-pilot. You're going to be my wingman. You're going to be my flight lead. You're going to be the person, you know, I might be an ALO uh, out on the ground, and you might be the person rolling down the chute with your trusty A-10 or your AC-130. I'm hoping that's not the first time you felt a little pressure. And you better be on target, and you better be on time, and I'm not sorry about that. So pressure, a little bit of pressure on the system is a good thing. A little bit of pressure on the individual is a good thing. I'm counting on the IPs here at Columbus to help the students learn how to handle that. The drill is not give them a whole bunch of pressure and see how they do. The, the drill is let me give them a bunch of pressure, let me give them some tools to deal with it, and then let's make sure that they can, that they can rise to the occasion. So 
I like the fact that the system moves along at a certain pace. I like the fact that you have to meet certain gates by a certain time. Now, we've, we haven't talked about competency-based um, progression. That's really important. You know, uh, you were going to ask me about how what I struggled with in UPT, and the answer is I didn't have that many struggles in UPT because I had 630 hours as an F-15E wizard. <laughs> oh, I had like 200 hours of close <laughs> oh, It was great. Yeah. And I had great front seaters. Uh, a couple of them had been tweet tapes, and they taught me how to fly. And I, I mean, I could do wing work. Before I came to pilot training, I was doing wing work in the Strike Eagle to get ready. Mm. So, you know, the great news was that made my pilot training experience fundamentally different than many people's experience. Mm. Right. The, the shame of it, it and so what we're trying to do with, with the fresh way of looking at it today is let's not make people who are really, you know, doing pretty well, let's not make them wait for the last person in the class anymore. Yeah. And to the IPs that are listening, you got to start proficiency advancing where proficiency advancing is due. I mean, come on, if, if the person meets the myth over and over again, early in the block, at some point take a leap of faith and get them moving because our Air Force needs pilots. But by the same token, if you don't meet the standard, it's time to do that one again. Mm -hmm. You know, and for the IPs, look, if people don't meet the standard, they need to hook. This isn't about whether they're good people or not. They're all good people. They wouldn't be here if they weren't. Mm -hmm. This isn't about how many people can we get through the system. I am unconcerned about, um, at an individual level, the pilot shortage is, is to be handled by folks like me at a big level. The IPs in this wing need to handle the pilot shortage by training quality pilots, period. You're not doing anybody any favors by keeping somebody in the program that just continues to limp along. And so the message to the students is be prepared, work harder than the person next to you, care more, work harder, and fly better, and you're going to be just fine. And it's going to be awesome. So I like that part about the, the pilot training system. I like the part where we have fantastic instructor pilots. Nobody can do what we do. Now, we have a long, work, long way to go to build our IP force, but the IPs we have are awesome people. And, they, and given the fact they have very little training, especially our FAPE uh, cadre, you know, they, they're, uh, they're just doing amazing work when you look at it. So our IPs are solid. Our approach is solid. Um, our methodology is proven. Part task training, building block approach, that is the core of everything you're going to do in the Air Force. So there's a lot that's still right about pilot training. We just can make it better. We're the Air Force. We're the Air Force. Our legacy, some people get really messed up on this. Our culture and our legacy um, is not about uh, singing songs in the bar, although that, you know, singing songs in the bar can be fun. I've enjoyed it on several occasions. <laughs> but that's not who, what makes us airmen. What makes us airmen is that we saw a better way. I mean, think about it. Go back in history, you're, you're in the Army Air Corps, and you're thinking, man, these Army guys just aren't using air power correctly. And it's driving me nuts because I can see over the horizon. I can go over the horizon. I can do things that, that they can't even imagine. That's our legacy is that we saw a better way and we made it happen. So the people that want to hide behind the old ways have to look in the mirror and see the airman part first and not get wedded to the particular AFSC that they have or their particular way of doing things. I mean, that's our legacy. That's who we are. So yeah. we need to get after it. It's pretty awesome. All right. Yeah. That's great. I mean, yeah. um, so... Other than what you've already said, sir, is there any uh, specific words of wisdom you have for any students that are maybe in UPT currently yeah, or about to enter UPT yeah. or anything like that? Listen, have, one, have fun. This is fun. I mean, if you're not having fun, truly you're doing it wrong. I mean, you are truly doing it wrong if you're not enjoying this. But what I've seen over the years, for when it comes to students, 
and being a student. And one of the beauties of having been a WISO first is I got the opportunity to experience the AETC. Uh, and I taught at the FTU and the F15. So I, I mean, I spent a lot of time around students and been a student. The number one thing is to be confident in what you do. And the IPs know this. I mean, when you sit there and look at it, the truth of the matter is by the time you get to day one at UPT, about 98% of you can do this. About 98% of the people have the requisite skills and aptitude to successfully complete this program. Some people can't do it in the allotted time. And usually that, you know, sometimes that's just individual learner uh, things. Sometimes air sickness, there's a few, few of you out there might be struggling with that uh, and hopefully you'll get through it. But to me, the fundamental discriminator was always the person who could compartmentalize the bad, focus on what's happening ahead. Now, you know, we have some goofy airplanes that do fly backwards, but they are truly the exception. Mm -hmm. Airplanes fly forward by and large, and that's what you need to do in UPT or any other training program. You need to move forward. We're all gonna have bad days, it happens to me. You have a bad day, you have a bad minute in a sortie, put it away, talk about it in the debrief, get better the next time. But that ability to compartmentalize and be confident in yourself is going to be what gets you through UPT, is to shake off the bad, pay attention, listen to your instructors. Generally speaking, do what they tell you to do and you're going to be fine. But be confident in yourself and if you do that, you'll get through this program in no, no trouble. If you start banging up on yourself, if you start beating yourself up for your performance, if you start dwelling on that one, you know, Cheetah used to beat the crap out of me for... Uh, <laughs> You know, he didn't like my procedure turn. <laughs> yes. This one day he was like, what's the high quality instruction? You know, yes. what's the acronym for when you don't do a procedure turn? And I'm like, what's a procedure turn? I'm an F-15 guy. <laughs> I don't know. But you can't dwell on that. Fly the airplane. Aviate, navigate, communicate, compartmentalize. That's what we're going to want you to do in the real world. You know, it's, that's how it goes. So that's my advice to the students is be confident, believe in yourself. Ask for help when you need it. And then also, don't get arrested. That's big. So. That helps. Yeah. Word of the watch. <laughs> Definitely. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome, sir. Well, um, parting shots. So that's all we have for you right now. Um, we appreciate you coming by. And uh, as always, guys, if you have any uh, ideas for future podcasts, please uh, let us know at blazesparks.gmail.com or on our Instagram or Facebook. Oh, yeah. If you're not following me on Instagram and the chief, you're wrong. Got him. So 19th Air Force Commander on Instagram, right? Yeah, yeah, that's it. It's great. All right, sir. Thank you. <laughs> yep. See ya. See ya.